This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. So the best companies to work for, who are they? And what makes it so? What do they have in common? Studying this is the Associate Professor of Management here at Wharton. One of the great things about broadcasting here from Wharton is that you get to meet people like this. Professor Matthew Bidwell is in studio with us, and thank you for making the time for Professor. Hi. Good morning. Very nice to be here. Thanks for being with us. So who's number one and why? Uh, so number one is Hilton. Um, in terms of why... I mean, there's there's two answers. One is how do these rankings get put together? Um, and so they're largely based on surveys of um, employees about how they feel about the company, the extent to which they feel respected, listened to, engaged, those sorts of things. The employees, um, not the customer. The employees, yeah. Hmm. So these are these are surveys of employees, um, and yep. When they survey the Hilton employees, they are very happy about the organization. So that's how you get to the top. You have employees that think the world of you. Uh, how did Hilton do this? Um, yeah, I Probably by actually taking their employees seriously. I mean, I think you um, have systems that hire the right people, that train the right people, but then really engage them and listen to them and make sure that they are actually feeling like they have some say in what goes on in the organization. And so I think by really investing in their people and treating those people genuinely as an asset, Hilton has really leapt up these rankings. I know it's a cliche, but feeling valued, right? Yes. I mean, that, isn't that the single most important reason people stay in their jobs? Uh, no, no? Uh, there's there's a huge variety of different things that, that drive how often people stay in their jobs. I mean, I think when you look at the um, research, just enjoying your job is probably the single most important thing. But yes, feeling valued is an important component of that. What about other things that the boss can or maybe some what argue should do? Health care, providing health care. Some people stay in their jobs because they have a health plan or they have a spouse who's in a health plan who needs the help from that job or maybe education help or maybe just the day to day. What what are the metrics that were used to determine this list? Um, so this is, like I say, um, they do two things. I think they say about 85% of it is based on surveys of the employees about how they feel about their experience at the company. Another 15% is um, actually going through all of the various different things that the company does to manage its employees, the kind of programs they run, the kind of benefits they offer, and they kind of smash all of those together. This comes from sort of secret source and out pops the rankings at the end. You're a professor of management. I have seen management change in the years that I've been in the workforce. Yep. And speak to that for a second. Um, changes, it changes back. Um, you know, I think we're, you know, at the moment, we're in a period where, where companies are, are probably doing slightly better for their employees than they used to be. Um, so we went through, I think, yeah, during the 50s and 60s, through into the 70s, Companies felt they had serious serious responsibilities for their employees. Um, employees had serious voice through unions and so on. So there was um, more efforts to have benefits, those sorts of things. 80s and 90s, much more focus on cost cutting. Um, you know, I think companies came out of the 70s feeling that their profits were too low. They needed to do something about that. And part of that was clawing it back from employees. Um, and so you've seen kind of declines in benefit. And declines in loyalty as well, as employees kind of 
look around and say, what's the point of hanging around here in this organization? I'm, you know, I'm not going to get any further. And so I think there has been kind of a, there was a big swing away from companies necessarily being good places to work. It's very nice to be in a very tight labor market. Um, and so I think at the moment you see both, you know, these companies like Hilton, um, software companies, and, you know, you expect to see kind of high tech companies were represented, but the Hiltons and the Wegmans and other companies with, you know, medium skilled work, um, lower paid workforces are there as well. And so you're seeing more companies um, focus on that strategy. One of the things that's been nice over the last couple of years is if you look at those employers that have tended to get bad press around this, you know, we all know Wegmans got a good reputation as a, a good employer. Walmart historically has not had a reputation as a good employer, but even they are raising wages and, you know... To $11. Yeah, at least making much more serious noises than they used to about, you know, we're no longer just in cost reduction mode when we think about our employees. You see the same thing with Amazon. So there does seem to be... At the moment, a shift back towards thinking, you know, if we can get our people to stick around somewhat longer, then maybe we can recoup the costs of actually, you know, improving paying benefits. But haven't you seen a conundrum of sorts where now there's such an effort on labor cost? I mean, if you work anywhere, you are part of a labor cost and you know that and you know management's trying to keep labor costs down. And at the exact same time, almost in contradiction, managers today are so much more human and nice than they were back in the 1960s. It's in my personal experience. I'm trying to set myself up as the norm here, which you don't yeah. do. But in the old days, it was you do this. Now it's more, hey, you know, the manager is the lead. What do you think? They're much more personable. They're trained by guys like you. Do you see a kind of a, a, a sort of a contradiction conundrum there? Um, I'm not sure. I mean, it's certainly I think the... Um, you know, there probably have been changes in society. We are, particularly in the US, much less used to very kind of authoritarian styles than we used to be. There's also, I think, just been a, a big shift in management philosophy, which is that um, you know, we learned that just telling people what to do wasn't very effective. That, you know, if you're in a customer service organization, you need the person who's um, with the customer to have some responsibility, to take responsibility for that interaction, to have some freedom about how they go about it in order to satisfy the customer. Even in manufacturing, we found that the guys on the shop floor, women on the shop floor, whoever's on the shop floor, <laughs> right. they, um, they know much more about the process than the engineer who's sitting there designing and optimizing whatever they think should be the process. And so I think there has been a big shift in terms of how do we get more effective in pushing responsibility back towards um, the employee. But yes, that, that coexists with, I think, compared, I think, to the 60s and 70s, frankly, there are fewer constraints on managers. Um, companies have discovered it's a lot easier to fire people than they thought. And so, yes, I think, you know, part of the challenge may be on a day-to-day -day level often when we're dealing with people who are immediately in front of us, we're probably nicer than we used to be. Which a lot of this is due to the fact that 25% of the workforce used to be union back in the 1960s. Yeah. Now it's, what, 6 to 8%. Yeah, yeah, very low in the private sector. I do think you've got that kind of, you know, I'm very nice to the person in front of me. Once they're kind of a, a line on a spreadsheet, um, you know, <laughs> then we go back to thinking about them as cost. Um, and so that, I think, is where you see some of that come through. We know we should be nice to individuals, but once they become a group and I start seeing, oh, I can shave 
5% off our costs by doing all of these things that are really horrible for the people involved, but I feel I owe it to our shareholders. You see some of this opposite behavior. You know, I realized I did not tell you what the top 10, we're talking about the best companies to work for in the new survey that's out. Hilton was number one. Um, Second, I think, was Ultimate Software. Wegmans was third. Cisco, fourth. Workday, fifth. Salesforce, sixth. Edwin Jones. Edward Jones is uh, seventh. Stryker came in eighth. American Express, nine. And Kimpton Hotels and Restaurants, not familiar with. Where are they? They're tenth. Uh, yep, so another hotel brand. I think it's really interesting that you've got such a mix of industries. Like, yeah. We're used to this idea that you know, in Silicon Valley, you're awash with money, and so you can throw beanbags at people and <laughs> anything else you want them to have. Um, <laughs> but you have these very labor-intensive companies like you know Wegmans, Hilton, and so on, where employees are most of your costs. Um and when managing that cost is important to your profits, that they're there as well. And I, you know, I think that's actually consistent with what we know, which is, you know, I think often we believe employees get treated well when um, they're not that big a part of the cost and they get treated badly otherwise. But in a lot of industries, you see both these kind of what we describe as low road employers, employers that focus on driving down costs, uh, you know, costs at any. Well, I was going to drive down costs at any cost. Driving down costs, <laughs> you know to get them as low as possible. And then you see employers who tend to offer more higher wages, more benefits in the belief that doing so will give higher loyalty and ultimately higher productivity. And, you know, one of the conundrums for us is both strategies seem to be successful. You know what I noticed? I mean, now here again, you can't really set your own opinion up as the norm. And this is anecdotal at best. I'm a newsman, not an economist. But Hilton, number one, Wegman, number three, Cheesecake Factory came in between number 10 and 20. I've had great experiences in all. So you're seeing the employees liking the same things I think that maybe the consumer likes. Yeah, there's certainly some um, some evidence that there's a reasonably strong correlation between employee satisfaction and customer satisfaction. Um, and again, that may reflect the idea that we're focusing on quality. We want employees who are happy, employees who stay, employees who are going to do a good job. They're going to provide ultimately a stronger service. The other side of it may also be, frankly, that a little bit of it is just about managers who are on the ball. You know, when we're a smart firm, we have good processes, like you say. Um, that We see that in the um, employee side. We're thoughtful about how we treat people. We're not short-term. We're not cost-cutting at every stage. We're more thinking about, you know, what's going to bring benefits, what's going to bring costs, how do we optimize it? You see the same thing on the employee side as, sorry, on the customer side as opposed to a focus on with every customer interaction, you know, can we shave a few cents of our costs here without driving too many people away? When you're teaching kids here at Wharton, what kinds of things are the hardest precepts do you think to get across about management? Oh, that's a tricky one. Um, I'll let you noodle on that one yeah, for a second. Mean, I'll ask you another one. Yep. Um, I have the like, uh, which comes on television all the time. There's a guy named Marcus Lemonis, who is a billionaire. He does a show called The Profit, and he tries to help struggling companies and fix them up. He always says the three most important things that he looks at in any business are people, process, and product. And he talks about how people have the slight edge in terms of importance. You would agree with that? I think so, although it's hard to tell people and process apart, right? I mean, I think what... Hmm. Hmm. What really these companies that are making the top of the list, what they have in common is they have really good processes for managing their people. So how do you get good people? 
you get good people by having a good hiring process. You get good people by having good training. You get good people by a set of management processes that strike that right balance of creating consistency, making sure that people perform, but also giving them the freedom to figure out how to do it in the right place. And so I think it's, yes, we want great people on the bus, but ultimately it's a process that gets them there and, and keeps them there. I had a Wharton professor tell me the other day that AI is now hiring people because it takes personal human prejudice out of the mix. Uh, it speeds up the process very briefly. I wish we had more time. Any, any thought on AI hiring? The evidence is quite positive so far. Huh. Um, we, don't, we don't have so much of it. Um, I'm not sure that reflects well on AI. I think it reflects terribly on the people who traditionally <laughs> do hiring. I agree with you. I'm so glad you said that. Matthew Bidwell, Associate Professor of Management at Warden, thanks for making time for us. Thank you very much. Really appreciate you coming in. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.